eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's going to happen tonight? What's going to happen? We're going to whoop their Have you gotten wrong with Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time, almost baseball postseason time. It's uh, definitely basketball and football offseason time. If there's ever even really such a thing as football and basketball offseason time, that's a fair question time. Whatever time of day it is, boys and girls. It's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. West Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here on a uh, lovely midweek, uh, lo- lovely midweek summer, feels like early summer afternoon here at Fort Rucker Studio, just a couple miles away from the University of Tennessee campus. Got lots to talk about on this episode of the Go Vols 24-7 podcast, and we'll be doing that uh, with... Ryan Callahan. So let's go across town to that uh, home daycare center of the one and the only Ryan Callahan. Bring him in. Ryan, what is going on, man? Not much, man. How you doing? Uh, I've been better, just generally speaking. Um, Tough week. Yeah, you asked an honest question. I'll, I'll give an honest answer. Uh, we Our, our uh, HVAC went out apparently on Tuesday night. And uh, it's not like July, so it could be worse, but we do have a teething five-month-old in the house. And uh, his uh, primary caregivers right now uh, would be my mom and my wife's mom. My wife's mom's a bit under the weather, and uh, my mom has to do some work, a lot more work uh, than usual this week. So basically, it's been daddy daycare after it was daddy daycare over the weekend because my wife was at a wedding in Arizona. So... I am pulling a good hardcore three hours or so, three three to four hours of sleep per night. So that's how this week is going, and now I'll I will be doing that in the heat. So that that's how things welcome, are going for me. Welcome, welcome to the club of of daddy daycare and uh, and, and limited sleep. Yeah, it feels good, doesn't it? Oh man, I love that kid so much. Even though I think I found <laughs> out, I think I found out today, uh, looking out in the sun, I was like, I think I think he's a Genji. I think, I think, because uh, you can tell he's got the bluest eyes ever. Everyone can see the pictures of that. But his hair starting to come in now up top. And looking in the sun, I don't, I don't know if there's any way to, to deny it. I'm not going to deny it. I think, uh, I think my son is a Gingy. I did not see that coming. I, I did not. So I think we'll still keep him. We probably won't throw him in the ocean or anything. But uh, nonetheless, 
Onward We Trek. Ryan, we have got a lot to discuss in this episode. Uh, We are going to discuss some Tennessee baseball at the end of this first segment. Obviously, there's plenty to discuss there. The top-ranked Vols uh, shellacked Belmont 18 to nothing despite starting uh, or pulling starters basically from the third and fourth inning on. Uh, Belmont's a good team, NCAA tournament team most likely, uh, leading the OVC going into that tournament's uh, postseason tournament here here in a couple of uh, couple weeks. But uh, Tennessee goes to Mississippi State uh, Thursday through Saturday to finish the regular season against the reigning national champion Bulldogs, who are struggling a little bit. Uh, right now, you could say mildly, but we will talk more about that in a minute. First, let's get to some Tennessee football. And uh, no, we are not talking portal, portal, portal. We are actually talking football right now. Ryan, Tennessee released, um, I guess, parts of that schedule had already been released, but Tennessee is changing now the 2023 opener. Not the 22 opener, but the 23 opener. And I got to say, personally, maybe a tiny bit bummed that we won't be making this trip that I think a lot of us were excited to make, Um, but still uh, replacing one what looks like a pretty good opener with another pretty good game. Yeah, uh, I'll just say, I get both sides of this, so let me get that out of the way. Selfishly, I hate this. Um, This is everything about college football that's happened over the past 15 years in terms of scheduling. Um, that I don't love the, the whole neutral site game phenomenon. This sport wasn't built on neutral site games. Uh, it just wasn't. I, I understand why teams play them. I understand why you want to play them in places like Nashville that are important for recruiting. So we'll get to all that in a second. Selfishly and, and on behalf of the several thousand Tennessee fans that would have made the trip uh, out West to, to see a game at BYU, a place Tennessee, I believe had never played uh, and now will have still not played. Yeah, um, and because it's – I mean, that is uh, – and again, I, I will waive my typical uh, loathing of the caffeine-free policy and uh, <laughs> on, on campus there and, uh, and, and just say that that view um, would have been spectacular. Like I could have uh, probably – I could have and would have snuck like a probably a, a Red Bull or something into the game in my bag out on the black market. But still, like not seeing that view – uh, as someone who loves sort of the western part of the United States and thinks it's beautiful, that would have been really, really fun to see. Yes, and and I was I was looking forward to that trip. Um, I, I was always kind of thinking in the back of my mind something like this might happen. Uh, obviously, knowing conference expansion was on the table, uh, knowing that yeah, stuff like this could happen that you just want to play another home game sometimes. And in this case, um, not, even not a true home game, just one in your own state. Uh, it, it makes sense from a lot of standpoints. And I don't think anyone should underplay one thing Danny White said in his comments in the press release about this decision is he said, we have to create new revenue streams. And that is definitely part of this, that when you have a chance, you want to add every home game possible to the schedule. And sometimes maybe even a neutral site game to just give yourself more chances to make more money. Um, that, and that is, before anyone rolls their eyes and says Tennessee's making plenty of money, they don't need this. In the in the NIL era, I will say there is going to be an interesting, and we've all got to kind of wait and see how it plays out. An interesting balancing of all this because you have yeah. people who've donated to the program for years who are now going to be donating to places like Spire in hopes of helping NIL efforts, 
And that may take away from the school's bottom line a little bit. So I wouldn't discount the need to generate more revenue wherever possible. And so from that standpoint, it makes sense. It makes sense to play in Nashville. And it makes sense to play a team that, frankly, gives you a better chance of getting a win. Um, I don't know that Virginia is going to be any easier than BYU. We'll have to wait and see about that. But BYU was a pretty feisty team this past year. And, and I don't know what they're looking like in 2023, but that's a potentially dangerous game with very little upside for Tennessee and a lot that you could potentially lose in that game. Uh, and what could be an important year for Josh Heupel and the staff, that could be, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on this later. It may or may not be the beginning of the, the Nico Iamaliava era uh, at quarterback. You know, that, that would be the first game of his college career. Now that's going to be in Nashville um, and, and some other important players in that class. Obviously, we'll see who, who Tennessee ends up signing, but that's that's a potentially important year. And you don't want to start off with a game where you have a lot to lose and not much to gain by winning it. So I understand it from a lot of those perspectives. But just personally, I hate it because you like to see different things in, as, as a college sports fan. And a trip to BYU would have been pretty unique for everyone involved and BYU fans loved coming to Knoxville just a few years, a few years ago themselves. Yeah. And, and there there's parts where as someone who first off loves college football, but also is a member of the media. So I, I try to see it from, from, from both sides here, both from what, what would a fan think and what should a fan think versus what sort of we, as people who are inundated with this industry and understand the demands financially that are on these institutions. So, so I, I try to see things whenever possible both ways. College football was definitely not built on these early season, like the Hall of Fame Classic or whatever it used to be, used to be like kind of the only one, right? Like or or some something kind of like that. They're just, the, they're yeah, just, you had yeah. The, the the kickoff classic and the what whatever else, but yeah, yeah, the kickoff classic thing that they played at like the Meadowlands yeah, years ago. Yeah, they used to have that, and and that was about it. Now now they do things a lot differently, and so. I get that it's part of it now, and, and these stadiums and these big cities are, are are built basically to have events like this on top of it. So it's revenue streams for lots of people, and, and that's sort of how they're built, and, and local commerce committees and other people like, like everybody wins uh, when these things happen, I suppose you could argue, uh, except for maybe the college football purists who grew up on the idea of those one or two maybe really fun non-conference games before conference play started and you got to see teams from different parts of the country that were good teams and you got to go places that that you normally maybe wouldn't go like you wouldn't say let's plan a family destination trip to Provo Utah uh you wouldn't necessarily do that most likely but if you were like hey let's go see a college football game there and by the way I'd also like to see that area of the country you get to do both things so that that is disappointing, but like you said, Ryan, uh, it, it is a it is a new era of um, sort of financial aggression uh, in, in terms of the race to get these funds, not only for facilities but for NIL and and see how these things get split up, see how see how much things change when some fans donate to collectives rather than to directly to universities and their scholarship funds and their you know their their bottom line that way. And, you know, if you've driven past uh, Neyland Drive recently, you see it again. Tennessee is is upgrading Neyland Stadium again, doing a facelift to it over multiple years. That's not cheap. Uh, Tennessee is trying to do what I believe is around a 56 or $57 million enhancement to Lindsey Nelson Stadium for baseball, uh, which is very much needed. And uh, that's not cheap. I just gave you that dollar figure. These things don't uh, come from nowhere. Uh, you have to have capital to build these things. And 
The only thing I can tell you for sure, if you are a fan, is that tickets are not going to get cheaper. They just are not. That is a byproduct of the area that we're living in now, and 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 players, and I think fairly so, are, are getting what's owed to them in terms of what their name, image, and likeness is worth. I am all for that. But part of that means that you already had inflation with tickets and things that are natural over time. Uh, and then you compound that with maybe some of this money that, that people are donating, donating to collectives now used to go to universities. So they're going to have to make that money elsewhere. And how are they going to do that? They're going to do that by one, charging you more for tickets, charging you more for merchandise and playing more of these sort of uh, kickoff classic type games in other places around the country. And that's just how it's going to be, Ryan. It is, and the, you know, I, I I'm okay with Nashville. I'll say that I, if you're if you're playing one somewhere, I think Nashville and Atlanta make a ton of sense. After doing the one in Charlotte a few years ago against West Virginia, maybe it was just the time and where Tennessee was as a program. You know, starting a new era under Jeremy Pruitt at that time, I didn't feel like that one did a whole lot for Tennessee. I I, I could be wrong, but it just didn't feel like it really. And, and I think the recruiting impact of those games, to a degree, is largely overrated. Uh, I don't think. I mean, you, sure, you get to hand out tickets if you're the, if, especially if you're the home team. But you get to hand out tickets, maybe, and uh, invite guys to go to the game, but you can't meet with them face to face or anything like that. So, very limited impact in terms of recruiting. You maybe get in front of a few players that would otherwise have a hard time making it to your campus four hours away if if, if it's Charlotte. But you know, we already know Tennessee's playing in 2028 back in Charlotte, and they've added a 2025 game in Atlanta uh, against Syracuse. Uh, I think an interesting trend in these things being scheduled you know we've seen in recent years you know Tennessee played Georgia Tech and Atlanta of course uh they they've they've played some some more manageable games in Nashville and they've played um they they played a West Virginia game that they lost by a lot in in Charlotte I I think it's interesting that we're seeing Tennessee play what look on the surface at least right now like some pretty winnable games That, that they're really maybe picking their spots carefully with these and I think that's maybe smart I think that's one thing about this that kind of surprised me is Tennessee was willing to pay $2 million to BYU to get out of this game. Um, that tells you a lot, in my opinion, about Tennessee's priorities with this a little bit. Some of it's about making money, yeah, and, sure. and what they think they're going to make from being in Nashville as opposed to that because $2 million to buy out of a game is not cheap. Well, and, and the, the split of the ticket revenue beyond $2 million is interesting. So BYU gets the first $2 million. The next 500000 I believe, goes to the National Sports Council and the Music City Bowl for putting on the event. After that, Virginia gets the next million and a half. And then the next, only after the first $4 million does Tennessee get the next million and a half. And then everything beyond $5.5 million is split 80-20, with Tennessee getting 80% and the, and the National Sports Council getting 20%. So if this game brings in, say, $9 million worth of ticket revenue, Tennessee's still going to make a pretty good chunk of change off this game. If tickets don't sell very well and you only make five and a half million, Tennessee might make only a million and a half off this game. Now, I don't think that's very likely, but there is a scenario where Tennessee doesn't come out of this with just a ton of money. And then you say, well, maybe they would have been better off playing another home game instead of this. But, um, but yeah, I think this does send an interesting message about maybe their priorities with scheduling. And I can't say Tennessee's wrong if this was a big part of the thinking, but it certainly looks to me like they were willing to pay a price to get out of a game that again was kind of a, not a trap game, but a game that people would have viewed as a tough game for Tennessee with very little to gain for this program. Um, If they win at BYU, you're expected to win. If you lose, it's a setback. No question going into year three 
under Josh Heupel, that would have been a tough way to start if you lost the game at BYU. So you get out of that game. Now you play what's essentially going to be a home game in Nashville against the Virginia program that we'll see what it's going to be under Tony Elliott. But, you know, they're not going to be expected to win that game most likely. I think Tennessee will at least be a slight favorite in that game uh, on paper, if I had to guess. And it's going to, you're going to have, essentially have a home crowd behind you. So that's a more manageable neutral site game uh, as opposed to going on the road. And I, I think that's important because think back to the Butch Jones era. Tennessee played two games against Oklahoma. And how different could that 2015 season have been if they'd had a game like this on the schedule as opposed to a home game against Oklahoma that turned out to be a disappointing loss? Uh, they could have gone 9-3 and three instead of 8-4 and four in the regular season that year. In the, in, when you're rebuilding a program, that might make a difference. So I, I can't say that until further notice that's not a bad thought on Tennessee's part to focus on getting wins against respectable but beatable Power 5 programs and, and to not make your schedule any tougher than the SEC schedule is already going to make it, especially with Oklahoma and Texas on their way into the league in just a few years. Yeah, that also might have meant Butch Jones was at Tennessee longer, though, so I don't know. When you, when you do <laughs> that, when you do the cost benefit analysis, I'm not sure sure you, how, how you tally that one up. But I, I think to to close on that thought, I, I think that there are there are things in this business that you don't love but you understand. I would file my thoughts on this under that umbrella. I, I think that you don't have to love something to to understand it, and I I, I do think it's fair to note that I do understand this. I think it sounds like Ryan understands this. It's something that just something that kind of the way things are now uh, in, in college sports. And that's just, that's just how things are. Ryan, before we go to break here, uh, I think um, you were able to watch the Tennessee baseball game this week, the midweek game uh, against uh, Belmont. We don't need to go too into too much detail about that game in particular. We do need to note, however, that that is a pretty good team that swept Purdue on the road in the past month uh, it almost beat Alabama and Tuscaloosa about four or five weeks ago uh, and is a pretty good team that's leading the OVC going into the final weekend and might be a regional team, might be a, an NCAA tournament team. And that was 15 to nothing in the fifth inning, and then Tennessee won the game 18 to nothing. Uh, that, it's just silly what they can do to teams. It is, and that's, uh, it's a, I think it's a good reminder that this team is still – as, as dominant as, as any we've seen in, in recent memory, probably in college baseball, even though they've shown a few or a few cracks in the, in the foundation lately, or at least, at least reasons to, to worry more game to game. Once you go into postseason play um, that, that, that at least makes you think that they're going to have some, some competition along the way. But this, a game like this reminds you that, that against a team that doesn't have as much talent as them, they are going to be just a bear for someone to try to, to match up with. And those one, four or one, even one versus three matchups in a regional weekend. Good luck. Uh, because this team just has so much talent on paper. They just overwhelm you and, and throw good, bad after good, bad. They, they even bring good people off the bench. It's really a, an embarrassment of riches. Um, I, I was actually get curious to, to hear your thoughts on this though, because we haven't gotten to discuss this as much lately. This team has gone through some changes lately. They've had, you know, the, the weekend rotations looked a little different at times. They've, they seem to be, you know, settling in nicely as they've gotten some guys back like Blade Tidwell. But also they've got some moving parts that make you think they're maybe in some ways a little more unsettled than they were when they really had things rolling earlier in the season. So where do you think, think this team is going into the final weekend of, of conference play and obviously the SEC tournament after that when things you know start to get real. Yeah, I think what's emerged is that even though he started the second game of series in the weekend, 
throughout the season. I view, and I think a lot of people inside the program might view Chase Dolander as the ace right now. Uh, he might have the best stuff on the on the starting staff. Uh, he's certainly on a staff that throws a lot of strikes. He throws even more than than usual. Pounds the zone. Uh, gives his defense a chance, but also pounds up a lot of strikeouts. So I, I, I think he would be the guy if you have to win a game and you want somebody on the mound right now, I, I would say him uh, right now, but that's just my opinion. I think in the past couple of weeks they looked at the pitch counts of Burns and Beam, and they've, they've tried to manage them throughout the season, but I think they really wanted to be careful that they didn't get dead arms with those kids going into the postseason. I think there's concern with Beam. His velocity's down a couple ticks. Uh, Burns didn't lose velocity, uh, really, but lost some command there for a little bit. And those kids had uh, an interesting year because they missed a full year of development with the COVID stuff. And, uh, you know, Beam didn't pitch a single game his final two years of high school. So there was always concern that as freshmen, these kids were going to, you know, they weren't sharpied into the rotation for a reason to begin with because you wanted to not put too much on their arms. I mean, look at Vitello, and he says these guys are not rented mules. They have careers ahead of this, and I want to be careful how I use them. And Frank Anderson feels the same way. So, and that's why scouts like their guys because they're not overpitched. But um, it is interesting because then Tidwell comes back and he's not really himself yet, but he's getting closer to looking like himself a little bit. So I think going into this weekend series, and, and this is just a guess, I know Dolander's going to pitch Thursday. Vitello admitted that. I would guess the final two starts of the weekend go in some order to Tidwell and Burns. That, that would be my guess. Uh, and then Beam, we'll, we'll, we'll see where he is. Um, but I also think Cam, Camden Sewell's a guy who could get a start at a point in the postseason, and I think maybe Ben Joyce could too. So there's as these tournaments go deep, things, you know, especially if you lose the first one, you go into the loser's bracket, it can be a march, and you got to play a lot of games to get back through it. And that means that Tennessee having this silly number of arms, like I didn't even mention Xander Zechrist, I didn't even mention Mark McLaughlin, who I think will be a pro. There's a lot of guys on this staff who are going to make money playing this game. And it's almost like sometimes they have too many options, uh, and Vitello's a tinkerer. He's a known sort of tinkerer with things. He kind of has that little ADHD, really, which I can relate to because I've had my whole life. And so he kind of likes to tinker with things a little and but I don't think he's just getting too cute with this I think the past couple weeks he's been trying to manage the arms of uh, Burns and Beam and I think he wanted everybody on the staff to come out of the bullpen at least once uh, in case they needed to do it in the postseason he wanted them to do it during the regular season and that that makes sense I I do like that and I like managing the workload on those freshmen it it needed to be done it sounds like what I was wondering is is that setting up those freshmen to, to be able to start again in the postseason, or are they going to have to manage their workload the rest of the way? And they need to rely more on the veterans in the rotation that I don't know, like, okay, let's say super regional uh, and the regional could be a three, three game deal. If you, if you win straight mm-hmm. through also, yeah. but let's say for a super regional, those three games, do you think he has an end game in mind right now as to who he would like those three starters to be? I mean, obviously starters aren't the end all be all in today's game when you have a lot of arms to throw, but who do you think is maybe the desired three to get ready and, and to, to, to rest them up and have them ready to go for a super regional series, presumably in Knoxville in a few weeks. Yeah. My answer is different than it would have been a month ago. My answer right now, I would think is probably Dolander, Tidwell and Burns. 
if I had to guess. And and this isn't one of those things that like I know and and Vitello's told me off the record and begged me not to say much about it. This is not one of those deals. I don't think that they know for certain. And and if they do, they're not going to say, not even to to us on background. I think we're having to sort of guess by what they're doing and how they're setting it up and what the arms look like right now. I think that they would probably go in that order, but I would not rule out Camden Sewell. He's been probably the most consistent pitcher on the staff for the past month. And he's a guy who has had a couple of, of really good postseason appearances uh, in his in his career at Tennessee. You know, he threw like a like a he just dominated Florida last year out of nowhere in the SEC tournament. And he's a guy who would be a starter uh, just about anywhere else. He'd be a weekend rotation guy without question, just about anywhere else in the league. So I, I think that's probably what they would do. But I think they're also keeping their options open. And if they go, for instance, to a super regional and they go into it with their first night guy and he is just struggling, I do not think they would hesitate to pull him in the first or second inning and then bring him out of the bullpen in game three if they needed to uh, because they just are going to manage it that way. It's, you know, every out is so precious in the postseason, and you like being in a rhythm. But it's worth remembering last year, Tennessee's order, Tennessee had the same uh, game one, game two, game three starters throughout the entire regular season. That almost never happens in this game. It just look at look across the country right now. Look at the guys who are going to get drafted this year from across the SEC or, or, or across the country, guys who are first-round college arms, and how many have gone out with Tommy John just this year. It's been a bunch of them. Guys get hurt all the time. So that's why they shut down Tidwell early in the season. That that's why they, you know, they wanted to make sure he was okay because they're worried about this stuff. And and I think in the same way that last year's pitching rotation was not normal, this year just about everything Tennessee has done is not normal. It's not easy. They've made it look way too easy. It's not easy. You're going to have to get to push through some things. Everybody does. Uh, the, the number one overall seed has not won this tournament since 1999 uh, in, in the NCAA tournament. So it's never happened, basically. In, it hasn't ha- Not basically. It has not happened this century. So I, I think probably – uh, long story short, I think it's probably Dolander, Tidwell, and Burns, but I also think Sewell's in there, and I think Beam's in there too. And, and I think that's an interesting situation because, like you said, Tidwell's not been necessarily the guy we saw last year yet, but he's getting there. And, and it's, I don't know. It, I yeah, think, you, you see the command issues that happen when you don't get a full preseason. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, fans who have watched this team all season, I, I think they might have some concerns about this team going into postseason play. But as you said, then you see these games, especially midweek. And even even like a few weeks ago against Auburn, you know, the game where they're, they're struggling on, I think, the Friday night game that weekend. They're struggling. They're down 4-2. to two, And then it ends up being 17-4. to four. They just have the potential at any point to blow the game open and pull away because they're so dominant. But they've also had a lot more of these moments recently in, in, in SEC series where – their you know good pitching is holding them in check and they're they're having more competitive games and that that's okay it makes them human but it means they're going to have a lot more tense moments in the postseason and like you said it's tough to win as the top overall seed in the tournament which this team appears to be well on its way to being so it, it is going to be I, i'll prepare fans right now i think it's going to be a tense postseason because this yeah. team has shown more human tendencies as you would expect in a league as tough as the sec and even though they might take care of business the first weekend without any problems, I think you can expect from the Super Regional on nothing is going to be easy because it just isn't in this sport. Yeah, it's not. And I'll end with this thought before we go to a quick break here that's a little bit overdue. I think that if 
what is interesting to me, and I, I totally understand it because this is a results oriented business. It just is like, let's just call this, call this what it is. But I also think that it, there's a certain bit of not disappointment, but a certain bit of, uh, I don't really know exactly what the word is. I bet the Germans have a word for this. The Germans have a lot of words for things where we don't have it in English, but they have it in German. It, it's this feeling that, that you get with some Alabama football seasons that anything other than dominating the entire way through and winning a national championship will be considered a failure of a season. And that is never, ever the place you want to be. I know that it's a good problem to have in terms of problems, but it is by definition also a problem. Uh, th- there is something that if you just win the whole thing, you're just expected to and you have all this talent. Um, but if you don't, then either the players are viewed as choke artists or the coach is viewed as a choke artist. And, and I, I, I just think that's a frustrating thing to think about because – like as good as the Arkansas program is, it, it's never won the College World Series. It, it came, you know, within a drop foul, fly, foul ball of doing it once, but it, it it didn't it didn't do it. Like you know, Ole Miss never won the thing. Like like there's a lot of really good programs that have never won this thing. So y- this could be one of the best college baseball teams that we'll ever see in this sport, and yet it maybe doesn't win a title. Oregon State a couple years ago goes what fifty six and six or something like that does yeah. not win the title. And And I'll tell you what the narrative will be. It will be that they peaked too early because it looked like they were steamrolling everybody in March. And then later in this regular season, they've they've had a little bit more trouble and looked a little more human. And they'll say, you know what? They played their best baseball too early before they were even completely healthy. Which I've never understood because it's like you want to be playing your best ball whenever you can. Um, And like last season, you know, Arkansas was – such a buzzsaw throughout the season, did not lose a single SEC series, which even this Tennessee team has, has dropped one along the way. Kentucky was a weird series, played in the pour, pouring rain, bad weather. Just It was a weird, weird series in a lot of ways. But, um, you know, that Arkansas team did not lose any of its SEC series. It's number one going into it. It goes and wins the SEC tournament. It beats a really good Vanderbilt and Tennessee team. It, it goes in there. And then it it wins the regional, and then it wins the opening regional of uh, the opening game of the super regional by like twenty runs. It's like twenty one to two or twenty one. It was something ridiculous. And then lost the next two games, and NC State goes to Omaha. And you know, if that series, if that game thing in Omaha had played out the way that maybe it should have, NC State might have won the national title if things hadn't gone the way they did because. That team with the COVID stuff, it just it, it got unlucky at the worst time possible, and it wasn't able to play. So, so that shows you how weird this thing can be. Like whatever you know, if Tennessee plays a super regional in Knoxville, and some random team that you don't think is that great gets sent there, that could end up being the team that wins the College World Series. You, that's just how this thing goes. It's really weird, and it's. I just hope that people, on some level understand and appreciate the kind of baseball that we've seen throughout the season. Cause as someone who's, who's a baseball lifer loves this sport more than anything uh, aside from like my family, basically, I, I, I think that it is, it, it is so rare to see something as special as this team is. And, and you hope that, that they go on and do what they, that they, ha- what they certainly have the ability to do. But if they don't, it's still been a hell of a ride and they're still recruiting at a high level. And this thing's not stopping as long as Tony Vitello is there. 
And they and and like you said, there's more parity in the sport than there's been. Um, so it's becoming it's not there yet, but it's kind of becoming a little more like basketball, where you're finding more national, more non-national seeds are making the college world series. Yeah, coastal, two, coast, coastal Carolina won the thing. Yeah, more more two seeds are, are winning regionals and things like that. So it it just it can happen. Uh, you know, some of those three seeds, and we'll we'll obviously we'll see in a couple of weeks who Tennessee draws, but. Some of those three seeds are becoming really dangerous in regionals in recent years because it's power five teams are sometimes barely sneaking in and getting three seeds. And that those can be really good teams in a lot of cases, just underachieved, like we saw with, you know, obviously Michigan in the basketball tournament. A team like that can be really dangerous. So I, I just would, like and you said, let's, let's not, it let's makes not, us, Let's not forget Wright State. Wright State last yeah. year was the four seed and had Tennessee beat in the first game until Drew Gilbert did his thing. And yep. that, that was. That was a Wright State team that had beaten Tennessee the year before in Knoxville a couple times, so it was not a fluke. And, and so, yeah, it sounds like – I know it's it probably <laughs> – we've dwelled on this for several minutes. It might sound like we're setting people up to be disappointed in the postseason. I don't think that's the case. This team's very capable of winning it all, but you, you raise a good point that it's going to be a storyline one way or the other. This team has set up enormous expectations that are going to be virtually impossible to fulfill, and that is – it. it, it Players aren't looking at it this way, but it's it's got to be kind of frustrating to Tony Vitello because I think deep down he knows that it's championship or bust for this team yep. because of how dominant they've been, and that's a that's a tough place to be. And as you said, very few teams that are in that situation actually follow through on those sorts of expectations. And we will have much more to talk about with that with that baseball team over the next couple of weeks. Certainly, um, you know, I'll be in Hoover next week and and we'll try to figure out if there's a way to take the equipment some of it on the road and do some stuff from there we'll, we'll hopefully be able to do that but regardless we, we will have plenty of stuff on this podcast more about tennessee baseball there's a lot to discuss there but there's also uh, a lot of football recruiting and stuff to discuss and we are overdue for a break we got to get to it right now uh, but after that we will be back listening to some products services in-house ads other fun things and then come back and discuss some football recruiting and other things including maybe a certain quarterback from i don't know california Back in a second. Hashtag ad. Money! This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Welcome back to the Go Vols 24-7 podcast, brought to you by whatever products, services, and in-house ads you just heard a moment ago during that commercial break. Wes Rucker coming to you. From Fort Rucker Studio, Ryan Callahan coming to you from across town there at his home daycare center. Talking a lot of Tennessee football, football recruiting, and baseball on this edition of the Go Balls 24-7 podcast. Before we get into some football recruiting talk, a uh, quick PSA, quick request, I guess you could call it. 
Guys, if you're just listening to this podcast on the website, we love you. There is nothing wrong with that. There is no wrong way to consume this podcast. But what helps us more than anything is if you will go in there, take a minute out of your day, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher, anywhere in the world that you can find a, a cast a fine pod, you can find this GoVault 24-7 podcast. We do this for free and we're happy to do it, but what really helps us out is if you rate and review and subscribe. That helps us add more wolves to this wolf pack. That helps us grow this thing as we have been doing. So please, please, please go in and do that. And if you've already done that and you're doing it, thank you. We love you. If not, go f*** yourself. That's the, that's the policy. And I don't feel like I need to explain myself at this point, so I am not going to. That is the policy. Ryan, Tennessee football recruiting. How are things going at the moment? Uh, you know, I don't know that... For sure, things are done in this cycle, but obviously, there's not a lot of space left there. What's the what's the latest? Give us the uh, give us the the overall view on where things are with recruiting at this point. Yeah, we've had a lot of those breaking podcasts over the past uh, several weeks, I guess, with the 2023 editions and the transfer portal editions. Uh, wouldn't say Tennessee is completely done yet on the transfer portal front. Uh, still think uh, Ramon Jefferson, the the running back from Sam Houston State. Uh, as we've mentioned before on Go Vols 24-7, is very much in play. Would, would not be surprised at all if he ends up at Tennessee. Um, so that's still one to keep an eye on. And, uh, and, and we'll see. There, there could be other names that, that pop up in the portal that might be uh, options. Uh, I, I, I was under the impression that this whole, you know, we're still navigating this transfer portal stuff and learning as we go in a lot of cases. I was under the impression that the May 1st date, uh, or at least I thought I, I had heard before, that the May 1st deadline entered the portal applied to graduate transfers and everyone. Then there was a linebacker uh, from James Madison, I believe that popped up in the transfer portal on Wednesday. And it, it led me to think that that player entering the portal you know, wouldn't be eligible this year, but turns out he might be because he's a grad transfer. So there still could be some grad transfers that pop up that might be of interest in the portal. That particular player doesn't sound like it's someone Tennessee will, will end up pursuing, but uh, there, there still could be some options out there. You know, maybe a late junior college guy pops up or something, but but otherwise, I think you know Tennessee is closing in on on finishing out its roster for the 2022 season and and has spots remaining. So it's not a matter of being tight on space. I think they've just been uh, more conservative this year about just taking someone just to take someone because you don't know yet what the number situation will be for 2023. I don't know if they're going to get rid of the 25 signee limit, you know, right away. That's on the table for the future, but I, I don't know if that's something that's going to happen as early as next year. So any spot you save this year could help you in 2023. So you don't necessarily want to use a spot just to fill it. Uh, and, and I think they're only taking guys that they feel will help them, not just taking depth in most cases. So I, I think that's sort of where they are now. But, you know, definitely not done uh, with, with this roster, but but closing in on uh, having having something resembling a full roster for this season. And you know, obviously the rest of the focus is is kind of all on the 2023 class with coaches being on the road the past several weeks for the spring evaluation period and closing in on what should be a very busy month of June and, and actually kind of starting that a little bit early with the Memorial Day weekend uh, event that they're having on May 28th that we'll discuss here in just a few minutes. It should be uh, should be one of Tennessee's bigger recruiting events we've seen in, in several years. Yeah, Ryan, do you want to discuss that weekend now or should I ask you about Nico now? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave that one up to you. What do you think? Uh, up to you. I had dealer's choice. Well, I, I was trying to be polite there, but since, since you <laughs> since you went ahead and mentioned that May twenty eighth weekend, what can you tell us about that weekend? I know that 
you know, it seems like there, there's you're always recruiting, right? Recruiting never sleeps. I don't care if it's a you know dead period or not. Whatever it is, there's always some recruiting going on. But there are usually a few big, big weekends during during the summer, and it seems like Tennessee's kind of shaping up a couple of them to be the big ones this summer. Yeah, and this is one that you know Tennessee's had some events like this in in recent years. You know, they had they had one last summer that they uh, I believe called Rocky Top Palooza. You know, they've 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 tried some different monikers for these over the years. Have yet to hear an official name for this one, but uh, it basically it's set up to be a premier or elite recruiting weekend. Uh, just a Saturday event for the most part, you know, a cookout or whatever you want to call it. Don't worry, Bruce Pearl flashbacks not necessary. It's on campus. Yeah, I was, about to, Ill- Ill- I was about to say, well, look what you no- did. Nothing illegal about having a cookout. That was a different story because it was off campus on an unofficial visit. Anyway, all those disclaimers out of the way. Just a just a Saturday for players to hang out basically and have some fun. They'll probably play some games and stuff. What whatever they can do within NCA rules and. And, uh, and, you know, but yeah, they're going to have a good turnout for this. And, and part of that is uh, Nico Iamaliava, the five-star Tennessee quarterback commitment, has, has been involved with some guys who it sounds like are planning to, to be in town for that one, including five-star offensive lineman Francis Mauigoa from, from IMG Academy in Florida. Uh, they've, got, uh, they, they've got some history together and, and, and have been in contact quite a bit since Nico committed to Tennessee. So he's planning to be in for, for that uh, weekend, according to Nico. And then also, uh, you know, guys like Tausili Akana, a, a top 100 edge rusher from Utah, visited Tennessee last summer. Another guy who knows Nico. They've got the you know the Samoan bloodlines in common and all that, so they uh, they they've they've crossed paths and in, in some ways and, and know each other pretty well. Um, so he's another guy that's been in contact with Nico. Already was involved with Tennessee, and now he's making the trip to Tennessee again. It sounds like on on May 28th. So. Those are that's an example of the guys, but you know, five-star edge rusher uh, Shandavian Bradley from the Kansas City area expected to make his first visit to Tennessee next weekend. That's an important one. Five-star defensive lineman Vic Burley from Georgia expected to be back in town. Tennessee looking to maybe make up some ground, I would say, on on Clemson and maybe even Georgia in that one. But Tennessee's been a contender for him for a while, so you can already tell a few five stars, you know, several top 100 players. It sounds like expected to be in for this one. It should be a, a pretty star studded weekend for Tennessee. And, and if everyone that's expected to be there shows up it, and that's always a big variable, but if everyone shows up and you've got less competition that weekend, that's why this is a, it's a smart idea for Tennessee to do this. The month of June is loaded. You're competing with schools across the Southeast and across the country to get kids on campus for camps and any, any visit weekend is a potential official visit weekend somewhere. Uh, you know, everyone's going to have official visitors throughout the month of June. So having it on a weekend in June would have just been harder. So this having it pushing this into the last weekend in May gives you the opportunity to get more guys on campus with less competition. So there's probably fewer chances for guys to bow out of this at the last minute and, and not make it. But that's always a possibility. But if everyone makes it, this should be a pretty loaded turnout for Tennessee and a big opportunity for them to you know, maybe not rack up a bunch of commitments that weekend, but to to really make some moves with some guys that could give them a chance to land some really good players down the road. Yeah, and we've said this before several times that that you're never going to get a quarterback like Iamaliava and not have some sort of you know byproduct from that sort of decision, right? You're going to have some. He's going to be able to influence some guys in their recruitments and, and he's going to get them, I'm sure, some NIL hookups and everything else and how they'll figure all that out like everybody always does now. 
And the bottom line is he is going to have guys come with him. Guys are going to follow him, and they are going to want to play where he plays. It's going to be the same uh, with Arch Manning. It's going to be the same with uh, the quarterback who's committed to USC. Those three guys in this class, they are very, very elite talents, and guys know them, and guys are going to want to go play with them. So it, it was always – there were always going to be guys who Nico was at least going to be able to bend their ear toward Tennessee, right? I, I think so, and this is this is this is where it helps. It helps you get guys on campus. I think now is Nico going to be the deciding factor for those guys? I, I wouldn't say that. You know, I think Tennessee still has to do the sales job themselves. There still has to be a, a lot about the program that those guys like. They're not just going to go there because of a chance to play with an elite quarterback. They can do that at, at several places, frankly, but. I think it does give Tennessee a puncher's chance at some of these guys. And in some cases, maybe even more than that, you know, Maui Goa, for for instance, the five-star offensive lineman, I think Tennessee's really in that one. And that's impressive considering he's not been on campus yet. So this is, that's a big visit for Tennessee. He's already talking about maybe taking an official visit to Tennessee in June. So, you know, got to lock in that visit, but, uh, but assuming everything goes as planned, Tennessee is is right in the thick of that one with, with Francis Maui Goa. And then, you know, obviously they've been in the mix for Carnell Tate, the elite re- receiver who was back in town uh, last weekend. So that that's a big deal. Um, you know, Tennessee's really made made a move with him, I think, over the past several weeks, and, and and is in pretty good shape there. So, you know, they've they've had some good visitors on campus already that Nico has helped with, and, and this this uh, this big event on the 28th is going to be another example of kind of his his star power, his his gravitational pull to to get some guys to at least give Tennessee a look that otherwise probably wouldn't have frankly and that's that's where he can really help it's not going to get Tennessee to to land those guys on on its own but having Nico in this class does give you a chance to be a factor for some guys that otherwise you know might not have given Tennessee much of a look yeah I think it's probably fair to say and and I I know I use this analogy a lot so forgive me but uh, to me it just seems like it's an easy one that everyone can understand Uh, there's a common common theme there I think Nico will get you to the table, but he won't eat for you. Like he'll get you a place at the table, you know. He'll set the plate there. Uh, he might he might even put some silverware on the table. Y- at the end of the day, you got to sit down and eat. If you're the coaching staff, if you're the NIL people, whoever it is, you've got to get in the room and you've got to seal the deal because that's that's. Nico can do a lot of those things to get you an opportunity, but he can't close for you. I mean, he might help, but but he's at the end of the day. Uh, these guys and and their families are going to make the decisions that that they think are best for for their futures, right? Well, and 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 just to, just to follow up on that, once we haven't gotten to discuss this since it all all came out, but the the new uh, or the recent guidance from the NCA regarding NIL collectives, I will say that it, it has impacted things maybe a little bit so far. I think things are are going to be have to be a little bit more buttoned up and a little more unofficial um, uh, on the NIL front, you know, collectives, I don't think are going to be able to be as, at least not for the, for, for a little while um, yeah, while they, while they get a better yeah, feel for the things they're going to have to. It, it's super be, adorable that the NCAA thinks it can put the, that it can control this. Yeah. They're, they're not going to put the toothpaste back in the tube in my opinion, but I think, you know, you mentioned like meetings and things like that. I, I think that's where things are going to slow down a little bit, at least while school, while schools are figuring this out. If, if the NCAA really pushes on this and, and there is a legal challenge to something the NCAA does at some point, then, you know, that's where things could could be opened back up again if a legal challenge is won or whatever. Because the NCAA it, never wins in court ever because it doesn't have any, a leg to stand on. Yeah, and so so there's that. Or if, if people just figure out the NCAA is, is toothless on this and is not really serious about enforcing it, then it will eventually open things back up probably. But for now, 
while they're in this sort of feeling out phase, I think you're going to see things go back to being a little bit more buttoned up on the NIL collective front. I don't think things are going to be quite as uh, quite flaunted out there quite as much openly as, as they were at one point earlier this year. I think you're going to see uh, more unofficial contact, you know, things like that. It's not going to be, you're not going to have a lot of meetings off campus and stuff like that, where, where I think NIL collectives were, were very much involved with things probably at a lot of places earlier this year. Yeah, I think now it's going to yeah. have to go back to sort of like third-party contact and things like that. Yeah, to, you to know what I hear? Communications. If, Ryan, if you remember the old Monty Python skit, wink, wink, nod, nod. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I, we'll see. The, the This is – and I am understanding, and I think we all would be, I think you would be too, Ryan, that if there's a school that doesn't necessarily want to be the one that, that really challenges the NCAA on this right now, Tennessee probably wouldn't be atop that list uh, of the places uh, that would want to push the and NCAA too hard on this because yeah. of that ongoing case. Yes, that that is something I think you have to consider is that they are still not done with that investigation. You don't want to... You don't want anything that happens with this sort of separately uh, on the NIL front to even potentially impact that investigation being wrapped up that Tennessee you know, still thinks might might not result in any further punishment or much further punishment beyond what they've already done uh, to themselves uh, as self-imposed penalties. So uh, you, you definitely want to get that behind you before you even think of being uh, you know, really, really bold and going out there aggressively and just daring the NCA to do something about it. So they're, yeah, I would say they're in a feeling out process right now. And that in the meantime, a lot of NIL collectors, maybe not all of them, but I think a lot of them will at least kind of tone things down a little bit and not maybe not be as aggressively out there as they were at one point this year. But yeah, I don't think they're going to be able to put the toothpaste back in the tube on that. So to your point, it's still going to impact some players recruitments. I'm sure even if nothing is done technically until after those guys like, you know, get on campus to start their college careers. Yeah. Wink, wink, nod, nod. I, I, I get it. And I think that, that, you know, cause if you're Tennessee, the mitigating circumstances that you would have in that investigation are that you, you dismissed all the parties who were involved in that. Uh, certainly from the, Coach aside, and and perhaps even from the player side, in a lot of cases. So, so you've detached yourself from that, and that's how you can kind of throw yourself on the sword and and try to get out in front of your punishment and all that, and self-impose some stuff on your own, yada yada. But if you then get in trouble with some nil collective stuff, and you're the, you know, you're the 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 bad stepchild that the NCAA pokes out for that one, then you know. Then, then that 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 would that would not be a good time for that. But speaking of Nico Ryan, before we get out of here, I believe uh, you have uh, dealt with him again recently. What's the latest you can tell us from uh, from from Nico Fest over over the weekend? Yeah, he he was in Nashville for the Elite Eleven Regional, uh, traveling back across the country. He's he's already spent quite a bit of time in Tennessee over the past couple months. For, hope he doesn't and, get uh, jet lag. Yeah, uh, he, he's uh, he, he's expecting to be in, in Knoxville quite a bit uh, this year, I think. And uh, in fact, we'll be back in town to help recruit. Obviously, we mentioned the guys he's trying to get on campus for that May 28 event. He's going to be in attendance for that as well. So uh, so he's he's still planning to take a pretty active role in recruiting on campus when he can. And and that'll be his third trip to Knoxville since early March, uh, back before he committed. So he's he's making the trip a lot. We'll, we'll see if that continues throughout the season. But yeah, I would imagine he's going to keep doing that as much as he realistically can. So he, and, and kind of keeping with that theme. Yeah. Instead of going to the, uh, 
and, and he said scheduling played into this a little bit, but instead of going to the Los Angeles area, Elite 11 Regional in a few weeks, uh, instead of going to the Las Vegas one, uh, he decided to go to the Nashville one. Uh, just kind of fit into his schedule well, didn't interfere with volleyball. Remember, he is a volleyball player yes. as well during the offseason, so ha- has to schedule around some of those things, had his own seven-on-seven schedule to schedule around. So um, this is when it fit his calendar, basically, he said. But also just just gave him a chance to get back to the to the volunteer state and play in front of some Tennessee fans, and, and there were several that came out and you know were on the field afterward getting autographs and posing for pictures and stuff. So I, I think he always enjoys connecting with the fans and has, has, has embraced that, that part of the role and, and sort of being this, you know, kind of generational recruiting win for Tennessee. He, he's, uh, he's, he's really uh, taken on that role uh, pretty, pretty seamlessly, but yeah, this weekend was more about him on the field though. And this was an interesting event for him because he, he had some adversity. He, he, he did not have his best day. It was just a quarterback camp where you're throwing routes on air. There's no defensive backs out there. You're not playing any seven-on-seven like they used to do with the opening finals. This is just a quarterback camp. So the focus is kind of fundamentals, you know, going through the proper steps and techniques and and your accuracy on the throws and how you're leading guys in, in, in in the routes they're running and things like that. And he didn't have his best day, and the and the heat got to him. Uh, it was a pretty warm day, Rut upper eighties, rut row. Yeah, yep, upper eighties. Uh, but the humidity, you know, obviously heat is nothing new for a guy from Southern California. But as we've talked about with plenty of guys from outside the Southeast over the years, the humidity it, it's just different in the South a lot of times, and um, so it it clearly hit him in a way that really nobody else in the field, to my knowledge, dealt with. Um, he 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 walked over to the sideline at one point during the event. And I said, he looks pretty wobbly here. Is he about to get sick? And about five seconds later, he did. So um, clearly did not uh, feel his best. To his credit, though, I think he showed a lot by bouncing right back from that as quickly as he was able to kind of, you know, get some fluids, get his bearings and, and get back out there physically. He was back out there. He, you know, it, I, I thought at one point, I was like, is he about to call it a day? Is he, is he going to be done with this? Because, I mean, what, what does a guy like him have to – to gain really, you know, he doesn't have to prove anything necessarily about himself. He's already established himself as a five-star prospect. He's a, he's already committed to Tennessee. You know, he, he, as far as the guys who have a lot to gain in in an event like that, he's not at the top of the list. So I thought, is he going to be done? Is he going to sit out the rest of this? Cause it was toward the end of the day anyway, got back out there and actually performed better. I think once he got some fluids and kind of settled down. Uh, And so toward the end of the day, had some better throws was a little more consistent. But all day, his accuracy a little bit off, just you know, a lot of throws that sailed a little bit high, you know, missed some guys a couple times. And, and in a routes on air competition, that that gets people's attention a little bit. It's more in a setting like that, you 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 want to see guys just make the routine throws. And he missed some of those, uh, or at least was it just a touch off on a lot of those throws. Uh, you know, kind of it looked like it was one of those days like every other throw, it seemed like was just a, a little bit off. So it, it clearly was not a a great day for him. I would caution people against reading too much into that, but it's something to at least maybe keep an eye on because he gets to come back next month and prepare for the elite 11 finals in Los Angeles. Cause he still did enough to, to earn an invite to that. And I would have been shocked if he didn't get an invite to that because he's a five-star that they want to compete on that national stage next month. But the fact is he did enough. He gets a chance to do that next month and we'll see, you know, what adjustments he makes, how much does he learn from that experience? He's, he pointed out after the event that he's not a big camp guy. He's not done a lot of this stuff. He's, he's really fairly new to the quarterback position. He only has 13 career starts at the high school level. He's just put up 
eye-popping numbers in those 13 starts. Um, so, but I think the consensus that, that, you know, from the guys that I spoke with at the event and after the event is that it, this is just maybe a good reminder for everyone involved. And we said this at the time he committed, and I'm not sure people quite took it to heart, but this is maybe a good reminder that Nico is still pretty raw. He's not a finished product. This is not a guy that you would ideally project as a day one starter at the college level, unless he just makes a ton of improvements between now and the start of, of the 2023 college football season. He's got a long way to go. Um, he, he's not worked on a lot of those fundamentals. There's a lot of things technique-wise, footwork-wise, that he still is a work in progress on. It's not that he can't do it. It's not that he can't make a lot of progress between now and the start of next season to, to, to maybe change that. But right now, the guy you see does not look like a day-one starter in college football. He needs to add some weight, ideally. He's still a pretty lean guy. Um, so there are a lot of things about him that you say – down the road has a chance to be great, just not there yet. And so this was maybe a good reminder of that, that he's still, while a talented guy, in a lot of cases, he it's that raw talent and just natural ability that's gotten him where he is and not necessarily being the most sound technician out there at the quarterback position. He's just so talented that he it's hard for him not to be the best guy on the field most of the time. And, and so to, for him to go through a day like that, I think it'll be good for him. And we'll see how he bounces back next month at the Elite 11 Finals. Yeah, you know, I think you know what I'm going to say, Ryan, but I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway. Football's not played in shorts, um, you know. Yep. Yeah, it, it's – I look at the film from whenever it's possible. And, again, we have people who are infinitely more qualified than I am to be, you know, uh, I wouldn't call myself an expert on these things. I do know, however, that football is, is played in pads. And to the extent that I try to judge – any kind of prospect, which I normally keep that stuff to myself because we got other people in this company who can do that better than I can. Um, but I generally much prefer the film of like watching them play 11 on 11 tackle football than I do watching stuff from camps. I mean, you can see some neat stuff in camps, but um, and they're important and they serve a very, very valuable uh, role in this process. I just, to me, football. It, you can. There's nothing really in practice you can do to simulate 11 on 11 tackle football, and so, you know that's. I, and it's a sport and a position that is all about decision making, and that's the thing to me that makes me less worried about events like this. Things like that do matter. I mean, I, people. Somebody asked uh, the, the other day because this will be the sixth time in eight years that Tennessee will be represented at the Elite 11 Finals, and that's a pretty. It's a pretty good stat that Tennessee's had that many guys in the Elite 11 Finals, but when you consider that some of them are guys like Brian Maurer and Caden Salter, who obviously didn't even stay at Tennessee more than a few months, um, you know, guys that, that didn't last long in the program, uh, and then some of them were guys like Harrison Bailey, who ended up transferring out within a couple of years. So it, it's not necessarily worked out, but it shows you that there are no guarantees, even among those 20 quarterbacks who go to the Elite 11 Finals every year. But I don't think that's an indictment on the event so much as that's just – kind of the nature of the quarterback position. And even in the NFL, you know, among early draft picks, look how many flame out in the NFL within a few years um, or, or show that they're not really going to be that good. Only so many live up to the hype. And that's just kind of the nature. You're either good or you're another guy. And they move on to the next one trying to find a guy who's who's maybe special. So, um, so that, yeah, no guarantee that getting to the Elite 11 finals means you're, you're going to be great. But it just shows you that – it takes more than just being good coming out of high school. You've got to keep getting better. It's a developmental position, much like the offensive line. It's all about how much better you get coming out of high school to the end of your college career. And Nico still has a ways to go. But again, that's ceiling. That's that's what you 
that's what's got him ranked the number three player in the country in 24-7 sports rankings right now. He has a ceiling as high as anyone, maybe higher than anybody else in this class, certainly at the quarterback position, because he just, the ball flies out of hand, jumps out of his hand so effortlessly. He can make all the throws. He, the accuracy is not perfect all the time, but he has the potential and does a lot of times show some very good touch on, on downfield throws. He, he's a great athlete. He's tall. There's, there's so many things working in his favor that give me that ceiling all day over a guy who's been coached to be good in that camp setting and doesn't have as high of a ceiling. I, 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 you'll take that potential any day. And so that's why you bet on a guy like Nico, even if he is still a little bit rough around the edges. Yeah, it's a developmental position. Look, look at the guy who uh, uh, cooked Tennessee's bacon in the bowl game. That was a walk on at Purdue. Uh, I mean, you know, you, you know what I mean? Like, you, yep. you never you never know. It's, that's, that's the beauty of it. Ryan, you got anything else? We're a little bit overboard already on time, but, uh, you know, we got stuff we had to discuss and we discussed it. But you got anything else? Uh, no, I, I think it's a good place to leave it. Lots of, uh, lots of recruiting things that will be – I would say happening in the, in the coming weeks, especially with, you know, we're getting into big summer official visit season and summer camp season and Memorial day weekend will obviously be big on recruiting. So uh, yeah, transfer portal, not completely wrapped up yet. So yeah, just stay tuned to go balls 24 seven. There will be plenty happening. If you're a big recruiting fan, we're getting into, you know, everyone complains about national sign days, not what it used to be. Well, in its place, June and July are action packs now. So if you're a big recruiting fan, we're about to get into the fun part of the year for you. There you go, with 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 Tennessee baseball coming up, with uh, some some spots to fill for Tennessee basketball and recruiting, with with things in football recruiting getting getting hot and heavy in the summer. There is plenty going on, so appreciate it, Ryan. Thanks, man. Absolutely, thank you. And there's the button, and now I can say, guys, thank you for listening to this edition of the Go Vols Twenty Four Seven Podcast. As always, we always say it, but we always mean it. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker, 24-7 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan, 24-7 on Twitter. Patrick Brown is P. Brown, 24-7 on Twitter. And Grant Ramey is Grant Ramey on Twitter. If you want uh, just Tennessee news in your feed, nothing else, get that at twitter.com slash govals247. You can also go to facebook.com slash govals247, and you can get tons of stuff there throughout the day, all day, every day. But if you want that best, most delicious East Tennessee Smoky Mountain spring water directly from the tap, Go get that at GoVols247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internet to get coverage of Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, uh, baseball, tons of stuff going on there these days, obviously. Lady Vols coverage, where Maria Cornelius does an excellent job all year covering all things Lady Vols for us all the time. we got two forums that run around the clock 24-7, as the name suggests. we got the checkerboard and the summit, where you can go 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and you can discuss Anything you want that is not political or religious in nature with Tennessee fans across the world, pretty much every freaking time zone that exists. We've got somebody there. We got people up at different hours of the day. We got all kinds, any time of day, anytime you go there, you're going to find a bunch of people on there talking Tennessee athletics, talking SEC stuff, talking pro sports, talking life, advice with kids, what to get spouses for their for anniversaries, uh, lawn maintenance. Oh, just You never know what people are going to be talking about on there. And it'll be anything that's not political or religious in nature. Anything else right there on the board for you to discuss. And you can get all that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month after a seven-day free trial. That is all that it costs. And after you pay or get that seven-day that seven free trial, after that, you get us that, that low rate. That's one mediocre lunch per month. But you don't just get GoVols 24-7 with that. You get access to Paramount Plus with that. 
for free in perpetuity, you also get access to a growing behemoth of a streaming platform that has every show CBS has ever done commercial free, tons of exclusive stuff. Uh, that you can only find, like, you know, 1883, Picard, Evil, Star Trek, all kinds of stuff that you can only find on Paramount+. Plus. You got new movies. You got classic movies, old blockbuster franchises, you know, comedies, dramas, horror, everything, stuff for the kids, all of it, all of it, and stuff from the archives of, uh, of CBS, obviously, and MTV, BET, Comedy Central, Nickelodeon, Smithsonian, all of it, all of it. Right there, something for the entire family and live sports, SEC sports, NFL sports. Uh, you got UEFA Champions League, UEFA Europa League, Syria, French soccer, uh, PGA Tour. You get everything on there. And we you get all of that and our site, all of it for just about 100 bucks and change a year. One of the best deals you can possibly find. And if you don't do it, I don't know what's wrong with you. Go do that. Don't be a fool. Go do that. If nothing else, guys, you should hear from, hear from us in a few days. So until then, uh, try to be good to each other. Try to have basic human empathy for, for people out there in the world. There's not enough of that these days. There's too many a-holes. We don't need that. Be good. See you. Yes, Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.